Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I will be reading the first of five lectures that I uh, have found from Neville Goddard that he gave in 1954. I don't have exact dates on any of them, but again, they were all done in the year 1954. And this first lecture is longer than the previous ones I have recorded, so I will be splitting this into two recordings. Okay, the first lecture is titled Awakened Imagination, and Neville tells his audience, As you have heard, this morning's subject is Awakened Imagination. It is my theme for the entire series of 19 lectures. Everything is geared towards the awakening of the imagination. I doubt if there is any subject on which clear thinking is more rare than the imagination. The word itself is made to serve all kinds of ideas, many of them directly opposed to one another. But here this morning, I hope to convince you that this is the redeeming power in man. This is the power spoken of in the Bible as the second man, the Lord of heaven. This is the same power personified for us as a man called Jesus or called Christ Jesus. In the ancient text, it was called Jacob. And there are numberless names in the Bible, all leading up and culminating in the grand flower called Christ Jesus. It may startle you to identify the central figure of the Gospels as human imagination, but I am quite sure before the series is over, you will be convinced that this, what the ancients intended that we should know, but man has misread the Gospels as history and biography and cosmology and so completely has gone asleep as to the power within himself. Now this morning I have brought you the means by which this mighty power in us may be awakened. I call it the art of revision. I take my day and I review it in my mind's eye. I start with the first incident in the morning. I go through the day. When I come to any scene in my unfolding day that displeased me, or if it didn't displease me, if it was not as perfect as I thought it could have been, I stop right there and I revise it. I rewrite it. And after I have rewritten it so that it conforms to the ideal I wished I had experienced, then I experience that in my imagination as though I had experienced it in the flesh. I do it over and over until it takes on the tone of reality. And experience convinces me that the moment that I have revised and relived will not recede into my past, it will advance into my future. To confront me as I have revised it. If I do not revise it, these moments, because they never recede and they always advance, will advance to confront me, perpetuating that strange, unlovely incident. But if I refuse to allow the sun to descend upon my wrath, so that at the end of a day I never accept as final the facts of the day, no matter how factual they are, I never accept them. And revising it, I repeal the day and bring about corresponding changes in my outer world. Now, not only will this art of revision accomplish my very objective, or my every objective, but as I begin to revise the day, it fulfills its great purpose, and its great purpose is to awaken in me that being that man call uh, Christ Jesus, that I call my wonderful human imagination. And when it awakens, it is the eye of God, and it turns inward 
into the world of thought, and there I see that what formerly I believed to exist on the outside really exists within myself. No matter what it is, I then discover that the whole of creation is rooted in me and ends in me as I am rooted in and end in God. And from that moment on, I find my real purpose in life. And my real purpose is simply to do the will of him that sent me. And the will of him that sent me is this, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing but raise it up again. And what did he give me? He gave me every experience in my life. He gave me you. Every man, woman, and child that I meet is a gift to me from my father. But they fell on me because of my attitude towards society, because of my attitude towards myself. When I begin to awaken and the eyes open, and I see the whole as myself made visible, I then must fulfill my real purpose, which is the will of him that sent me. And the will is to raise up those that I allowed in my ignorance when I slept to descend within me. Then starts the real art of revision to be the man, regardless of your impressions of that man, regardless of the facts of the case, that they are all staring you in the face. It is your duty when you become awakened to lift him up within yourself and you will discover that he was never the cause of your displeasure. When you look at him and you are displeased, look look within and you will find the source of the displeasure. It did not originate there. Now let me give you a case history to illustrate this point. I know a few of you were at the banquet and maybe a few of you heard me last Thursday on TV, but I doubt in the audience of say 23 or 2400 of us that more than say 150 heard it. And even if you heard it, you can hear it time and time again, for it is this, that if you hear it, that if you hear, it will cause you to act upon it. Because as I told you, and I think I did last Sunday, but if I didn't, let me tell you now. If you attended the entire 19 and you become sat- or and you became saturated with all that I have, tell- I have to tell you, so that you had all the knowledge you think it takes to achieve your objectives, and you did not apply what you received, it would avail you nothing. But a little knowledge which you carry out in action, you will find to be far more profitable than much knowledge which you neglect to carry out in action. So by repeating this case history this morning, though say 100 or 200 of you have heard it, it will help you to remember you must do something about it. This past May in New York City, there sat a lady who had been coming for years, and I made a simple observation that people must become doers of the word and not mere hearers only. For if a man only hears it and never applies it, what he hears he will never really prove or disprove what he has heard. And then I told the story of a lady who had only heard me three or four times and how she transformed the life of another. And this lady, hearing what one who came only three times and this miracle took place in her life, she went home, determined that she would really apply what she had heard over the years. And this is what she did. Two years before, after a violent quarrel, she was ordered out of her son's home by her daughter-in-law. Her son said, 
Mother, you need no proof from me that I love you. It's obvious. I think I have proven that every day of my life. But if that is Mary's decision, and I regret it, it must be my decision, for I love Mary, and we live in the same house, and it is our house. It is our little family. And I am sorry she feels this way about it, but you know these little things that culminate in an explosion as took place today? If that is her decision, it is mine. That was two years ago. She went home, and she realized that night after night, for over two years, she had allowed the sun to descend upon her wrath. She thought of this wonderful family that she loved and felt herself ostracized from it, expelled from the home of her son. She did nothing about revising it, and yet I had been talking revision to my New York audience for the past year. This is what she did now. She knew the morning's mail brought nothing. This was a Wednesday night. There had been no correspondence in two years. She had sent her grandson at least a dozen gifts in the two years. Not one was ever acknowledged. She knew that they had been received, for she had insured many of them. So she sat down that night and mentally wrote herself two letters, one from her daughter-in-law, expressing a great kindness for her, saying that she had been missed in the home, and asking her when she was coming to see them. And then she wrote one from her grandson in which he said, Grandmother, I love you. Then came a little expression of thanks for the last birthday present, which was in April. And then came a feeling of, of sadness rather because she hadn't seen her and begging her to come and see him soon. These two short notes she memorized, and then, as she was about to sleep, she took her imaginary hands and held these letters, and she read them mentally to herself until they woke in her the feeling of joy because she had heard from her family that she was wanted once more. She read these letters over and over, feeling the joy that was hers, because she had received them and fell asleep in her project. For seven nights, this lady read these two letters. On the morning of the eighth day, she received the letter. On the inside were two letters, one from her grandson and one from her daughter-in-law. These letters were identical with the letters she had mentally written to herself seven days before. Where was the estrangement? Where was the conflict? Where was the source of the displeasure that was like a running sore over two years. When man's eye is open, he realizes all that he beholds. Though it appears without, it is within. Within one's own imagination, of which this world of mortality is but a shadow. She gave me permission to tell that story. When I told it, and we came to the period of questions and answers, there was a strange reaction from that crowd. They wondered what joy life would hold for any of us if we had to write our own letters, if we had to do everything to ourselves. That seemingly is done in joy. That seemingly is spontaneous, coming from another. But I don't want to write myself a love letter from my wife, or my sweetheart, or my friend. I want that one to feel this way towards me and to express it, unknown to me that I may receive a surprise in life. Well, I am not denying the sleeping... Man firmly believes that is the way things happen. When a man awakes, he realizes that everything he encounters is a part of himself. And what he does not now comprehend, he knows, because the eye is opened, that it is related by affinity to some 
as yet unrealized force in his own being, that he wrote it, but he has forgotten it, that he slapped himself in the face, but he has forgotten it, that within himself he started the entire unfolding drama, and he looks out upon a world, and it seems strange to him, because most of us in our sleep are totally unaware of what we are doing from within ourselves. What that lady did, every man and woman in this audience today can do. It will not take you years to prove it. What I tell you now may startle you. It may seem to be bordering or bordering on insanity for the insane. Believe in the reality of subjective states and the sane man only believes in what the senses will allow, what they will dictate. And I'm going to tell you when you begin to awake, you assert the supremacy of imagination and you put all things in subjection to it. You never again bow before the dictates of facts and accept life on the basis of the world without. To you, truth is not confined by facts, but by the intensity of your imagination. So here we find the embodiment of truth, which I say is human imagination. Standing in the world drama before the embodiment of reason personified as Pontius Pilate. And he is given the authority to question truth and they ask him, what is the truth? And truth remains silent. He refuses to justify any action of his. He refuses to justify anything that was done to him. For he knows no man cometh unto me, save I call him. No man takes away my life. I lay it down myself. Okay, so that is the first half of this lecture on um, awakened imagination. So I will continue with the rest of the lecture in next week's podcast. So that is all for today. Thank you for joining, joining me. And um, I will be here again next week with the second half of Awakened Imagination.